Well, this morning, uh, we're going to conclude um, this uh, summer's installment of, uh, of this series, Road Trip Songs. Uh, you know, we've been looking at these psalms that are known as the Psalms of Ascent, and they are psalms that the pilgrims actually sang on their way to Jerusalem to worship. And so they really were road trip songs. And so that's kind of what we've been looking at this summer. And today we're going to wrap up uh, this series with Psalm 127. And so let me read that psalm to you. Unless the Lord builds the house, the builders labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the guards stand watch in vain. In vain you rise up early and stay up late, toiling for food to eat. For he grants sleep to those he loves. Children are a heritage from the Lord, offspring a reward from him. Like arrows in the hands of a warrior are children born in one's youth. Blessed is the man whose quiver is full of them. They will not be put to shame when they contend with their opponents in court. The word of God for the people of God. Now most of us spend most of our hours of each week at work. And when all is said and done, we will have spent most of our lives at work. And so the psalm that we read this morning um, has something to say about work, about how we do our work, how we do our labor. Um, And so um, I thought maybe um, I would start this morning by sharing with you some, uh, these are actual employee performance evaluations that someone collected. Uh, Yeah, I'm going to warn you, they're not good, Uh, but these are supposed to be real. Since my last report, this employee has reached rock bottom and started to dig. (laughs) Works well when under constant supervision and cornered like a rat in a trap. This employee is depriving a village somewhere of an idiot. (laughs) He sets low personal standards and then consistently fails to achieve them. He brings a lot of joy whenever he leaves the room. (laughs) If you see two people talking and one looks bored, she's the other one. The gates are down. The lights are flashing, but the train isn't coming. If you give him a penny for his thoughts, you'll get changed. The wheel is turning, but the hamster is dead. This is my all-time favorite. He doesn't have ulcers, but he's a carrier. Now, you may have worked with some people like that. Um, If you've never worked with any of those people, then, well, maybe your coworkers have. I don't know. But, But Eugene Peterson uses the images of Babel and Thessalonica to kind of show us where this psalm is pointing and what it's saying to us. Uh, about work and about labor. Um, You know, in the Old Testament, there's this story about the Tower of Babel. It's in Genesis. It's early on. It's when uh, a bunch of people get together, and um, it's a tribute to our building things on our own. 
It's a story about folks who built things for their own glory. Uh, this tower was, you know, it was all about them. And in the end, uh, it's a story that ends with destruction and confusion, which is exactly the thing that this psalm warns against. And I think sometimes, you know, in our culture, we haven't learned much because there's still so much work that is done with the motive of self-aggrandizement or getting rich, no matter what the cost. Self-sufficiency uh, and the image of the self-made man or woman has risen to absolutely mythic proportions. Short-term profits with long-term consequences in a workplace that leaves any support of the fairness and justice that God demands. These are examples of how we can do our work without God. And on the other extreme, you have Thessalonica. Paul wrote a letter to the folks in Thessalonica because they had decided, uh, instead of doing the work all on their own, that they would just let God do it all. Since God had provided everything in Christ Jesus, they determined they didn't need to do anything. So they quit their jobs and sat around and waited on God to come back and figured it was God's responsibility to take care of them until he did. So, so there's these two extremes, uh, and, and this psalm points us toward the, the middle, toward the center of where we do our work in a way that we do our work with God. John Ortberg writes a version of what the first chapter of Genesis might have sounded like if God had approached creation the way some folks approach their work. In the beginning, it was 9 o'clock, so God had to go to work. He filled out a requisition to separate light from darkness. He considered making stars to beautify the nights and planet to fill the skies, but thought it sounded like too much work. And besides, thought God... It's not my job. So he decided to knock off early and called it a day. And he looked at what he had done and he said, it'll have to do. On the second day, God separated the water from the dry land. And he made all the dry land flat and plain and functional. So that behold, the whole earth looked like Iowa. <laughs> he thought about making mountains and valleys, and glaciers, and jungles, and forests, but decided it wouldn't be worth the effort. So God looked at what he had done that day and said, it'll have to do. God made a pigeon to fly in the air, a carp to swim in the water, a few dogs and cats. God thought about making millions of other species of all sizes and shapes and colors, but he couldn't drum up any enthusiasm for it. Besides, it was almost time for the late show. So God looked at what he had done and said, it'll have to do. At the end of the week, God was seriously burned out. So he breathed a big sigh of relief and said, thank me, it's Friday. <laughs> <laughs> and how grateful we are that that's not God's attitude toward work. Amen. Nor God's attitude toward creation and all that God created. And so this, this palm, this psalm, points somewhere between Babel and Thessalonica. Somewhere between self-sufficiency and total dependence. We have this opportunity, no matter what we do, to work in such a way that we do our work 
with God. And, and no matter what our job, if we interact with other people, then we have the opportunity, whether they're coworkers or clients or, or customers, we have the opportunity to treat them in a way that shows them God's grace and that shows them God's love. And in doing so, then we work with God. God is a part of the work that we do. And we create places where, where God can be seen and known. Places where people are treated with fairness and respect. And it's our responsibility to do the work, but God works with us when we do things in a way that, that fulfills God's purpose. Look at that verse 2 again. He said, In vain you rise up early and stay up late, toiling for food to eat, for he grants sleep to those he loves. You know, I'm convinced that our culture uh, encourages us to sweat and lose sleep and worry about what's next. Um, because no matter what we have, it isn't good enough. There's another level we have to achieve. No matter what goes on in our lives, you know, there's something else that we need that we have to have. There's, there's the next level. Somebody else has it, so we have to have it. Whatever we have isn't enough, and we're convinced that all this consuming will make us happy. And so we need to consume more, so we got to work harder to be able to consume more. And it ends up being this endless kind of cycle of frustration and never being able to feel like grateful for, for where we are. It's an endless cycle. And, and I'm reminded of Jesus' words in the, the, the Sermon on the Mount. He said, don't worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They don't sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any one of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? And Jesus reminds us, you know, don't be anxious about all these things that we're often encouraged to be anxious about. Or um, in the words of the great American theologian, Lily Tomlin, <laughs> even if you win the rat race, you're still a rat. <laughs> so, so we can do our work in such a way that we are working with God. And, and that's what the psalmist is pointing to, doing our work in such a way that, that we're working with God and fulfilling God's purposes in how we treat people, how we act, how we carry on what we do. There, there's a great cartoon uh, that I've seen in several different places where this guy says, I'm, I'm starting a new business. I'm trying to think of a good Christian name for it so people will know I'm a Christian. And the guy says, why don't you just work hard for a fair price and treat people with honesty and respect? Then they'll know. <laughs> you don't need to put that in the title. And, and how true that is. And, and I, think, I think it's important to notice that the jobs the psalmist mentions, I mean, these, these aren't religious jobs. These are building houses, guarding the city. These are, these are kind of blue-collar, salt-of-the-earth kind of jobs. Every job we have the opportunity 
to work with God if we're willing to do things the way God would do things. Now, these next verses seem completely out of place because the psalmist is talking about work and how we labor, and then all of a sudden he starts talking about children. And uh, if you read this, you know, I was wondering at first if maybe the psalmist had uh, ADHD. He just kind of went, you know, from one thing to another. Uh, But the key that links these two verses, these two sections, is the phrase, building a house. Because house in, in the Old Testament is often associated with your, with your lineage, with your children, with your heritage. Um, as a matter of fact, in 2 Samuel chapter 7, uh, David proposes to God that, to build God a house. And David's talking about a, a physical building, a temple. And if you remember, God told David, no, that Solomon would build it. But he told David, I will build you a house. And the house God was talking about was David's lineage, was David's, um, the, the heritage that would follow David, his line of descendants that would rule over Israel. So, so there's this greater point that, that God is essential in both kinds of houses. God is essential in the work that we do, and God is also essential in children and in, in family. Um, because, you know, when it comes to, to having a family, there's a part we play but there's also a part that, that God plays. Uh, children aren't just born by our efforts, but through the miraculous process of reproduction that's created by God. And so that's why we say children are a gift from God, because God is involved in the building of both kinds of houses. You know, they say, um, I've read this and heard this many places, that the scripture is like a diamond. And you hold it up, and you look at it, and it, you see the beauty of it. But then sometimes if you turn it just a little in the light, you see something completely different uh, that you didn't see before. And, and this is one of those psalms that you look at it, and it has this beautiful message about God being engaged with us in our labor and in our work and in our families. And then you turn it just a little and it looks completely different. Um, if you have your Bibles, you will notice in the text at the top of the, the psalm, it says, a psalm of ascents. All these psalms that we've been looking at, road trip songs, every one of them have that. They're in your, it says that in your Bible. That wasn't added by an English uh, you know, person who put the Bible together. That's in the Hebrew text. It is a psalm of ascents. This one has something that none of the other psalms of ascent have. It says, a psalm of ascents of Solomon, which means it could also be interpreted to Solomon. So this psalm was either written by Solomon or it was written to Solomon. And and when you put it in that context, it makes it look completely different. Because remember, Solomon is the one who built the temple of God, the great temple, the most beautiful temple Israel ever had. It was destroyed, and by the time, you know, when Jesus walked on the earth, that was a different temple. But the one Solomon built was the one that was always considered the most beautiful, the most glorious temple that had been built to God. Solomon was the one who did that. And if you've read the Bible closely, you know that the story of Solomon in the Bible is a mixed bag. 
because there's all these good things about Solomon, about how wise he was, and how during his reign, God allowed there to be a time of peace. He was the one that God allowed to build this temple in the first place. Um, there's all these great things about Solomon, but you're probably also aware that Solomon, instead of really trusting God, trusted in his political uh, you know, um, uh, pacts with other countries, and he married all of these foreign women in order to get in politically with all these other governments to take care of each other, and in doing so brought in all of these foreign gods that ended up becoming a real curse in Israel. So Solomon did some other things as well. So Solomon did some really great things, but Solomon also did some really terrible things. We are all complicated, aren't we? <laughs> so Solomon built this house for God. But we know for a fact that some of the things he did in building it were not in keeping with what God taught. For one thing, the temple was built with slave labor, which was never God's intention. There were additional things that were done in the building of the temple that were not in keeping with the laws of the Old Testament. And so by the time this psalm was written, that temple had been destroyed and replaced with another temple. And so, is this a cautionary tale? <laughs> is it judgment that Solomon had built the temple with the wrong motives and the wrong means, and now it's destroyed? Because unless the Lord builds the house. The builders build it in vain. And Israel had trusted in their own strength and in their own political strategies to save them from the Assyrians. They thought they were self-sufficient enough to take care of themselves. They could watch over their own city. But the Assyrians ended up destroying their city. Because unless the Lord watches over the city, the guards stand watch in vain. Is it a cautionary tale from their own history? I don't know. But if it is, I think there's a good case this song would have been sung in a minor key. And either way, whether you see it as specific to that event or whether you see it as, as, as it does anyway and reaches out to all of us, the psalm reminds the pilgrims that the human work of building and protecting Jerusalem and installing kings always depends on God's work. And if God's not involved, it cannot last. And it reminds us that that is how it is for us as well. All of our labor, we have a chance to labor with God and do things that fulfill God's purpose. And if we fail to do that, then what we do doesn't last because God's not involved in it. And so I remember at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus talking about building a house. And he said, those who build on a firm foundation, then when the storms come, that house stands. And those who don't, it, it doesn't last. And this psalm is, I think, saying to us kind of the same thing. Is that when we build our houses, when we build our lives with God in the way that God wants us to, in the way that honors God, in the way that fulfills God's purposes, then the things we do are things that last and have meaning far beyond just the initial thing. 
It's an important word, I think, for our lives. It is an important word, I think, for church, that in everything we do, that we include God and do things in the way God wants it done so that it will be something that will last forever. Amen.